Welcome back. We are glad you have chosen to join us for the conclusion of Pastor Tim's message from Luke chapter 8, verses 19 through 21, entitled, The Family of God. Pastor Tim states, the old song says, I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. I've been washed in the fountain, cleansed by his blood. Gladly, I have been saved by Jesus Christ and brought into his family. Even some of Jesus' half-brothers and sisters could eventually say, I'm part of the family, the family of God. Here's Pastor Tim. I want you to know that there's another group of people in the world. And in fact, these brothers fit into this second category as well. There's not people who would say, I'm so mad I'm not a part of, or I'm not, I'm so sad I'm not a part of the family of God. These are people who will say, I'm so mad that you're a part of the family of God. Sorry, by the way, I just couldn't, I couldn't help myself. <laughs> by the way, if you don't bring candy, I'm not threatening you. Not, not much. All right. I'm so mad that you're a part of the family of God. You know that we live in a culture and in a society that's not happy with believers, that don't want to hear the things that we have to say and don't want to be found by the way that we live or convicted by the way that we ourselves live. And yet, did you know that if it weren't for the church of Jesus Christ, we wouldn't have many of the hospitals that we have. We wouldn't have many of the orphanages that we have. We wouldn't have many of the schools that we have. All of those things came about because believers, true, genuine believers, made a difference in the world that they live in. What kind of difference are we making today? You wonder sometimes if we make any difference at all. It seems like all we tend to do is to make people mad because of what we think, because of what we say, because of what we believe. This is true in our society today as much as it was even in the first century. John writes in his very first epistle, and he says this, he says, And the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming, is already here. And that spirit of Antichrist that was here in the first century is still here and prevalent in the 21st century. We have the spirit of Antichrist in our society and in our culture. So that it, it makes sense when we hear John also write and say, Do not marvel, my brethren, if the world hates you. We hear Jesus saying, if the world hates you, just know that it hated me first. You see, really, it's not so much you that the world hates. It's the Jesus that you serve that the world hates. It's not so much you that the world hates. It's the Jesus that you represent that the world hates. It's not so much you. It's what Jesus is doing in you. What Jesus is doing through you. What Jesus is doing with you. And because we've come to a point to where everybody in America now, you know, not believers... I don't, I don't know if we really have a right anymore to say that we're a Christian nation. We're not if you go by, you know, just public opinion. You go back to our foundings and you, and you find good reason to say, yes, we're a Christian nation. But you can't look at our nation today and say that we are Christian. 
in our activities or in our beliefs. And us, as the church, have been pushed aside by that same society. Listen, our society, though, is not doing any more to us than Jesus' brothers tried to do to him. You remember when Jesus is getting ready, the Passover is about to begin? And Jesus' brothers say to him, Why don't you go on up then, Jesus? You want to make a big show of yourself? You want to be the big man? Why don't you just go on up there? Ridiculing him. Mocking him. In fact, in another episode when Jesus is teaching and preaching, Jesus' brothers come to the house where he is for one reason and one reason only. To tell him to be quiet. Can you imagine? Can you imagine somebody telling that to Jesus? Can you imagine somebody that close to him saying that? And yet that's exactly where our society is today. Let me give you these three things. When it comes to our society and the way that they view us, I would say that some wish that the family of God would simply cease. That the family of God would simply cease. Just just stop. Just stop the world and let all of them get off. We don't want their kind here anymore. Why? Because we are judgmental in their eyes. In our eyes, we're simply being accountable. We are obstacles in their eyes. Whereas we see ourselves as standard bearers. They see us and want nothing to do with our faith. Isn't that a shame? It is a shame that in America today, there are people who would rather the church just go away so that secular life can proceed on unhindered. It's the young man, the young woman who says, I can't wait till I'm 18 and I'm out of here. I don't have to listen to you anymore. Right? And then that kid goes and joins the army. <laughs> listen, the world's not interested. They're not. Do we blame them for that? No, they're just being the world. They're being sinners. It's our job to be in the culture. It's our job to be a part of the culture. Whereas they would simply want us to cease. There's another group out there who would simply wish for the family of God to stay cloistered. To stay cloistered. In other words, what they're saying is, if you're not going to go away, then just stay in your building. All right. Now suddenly we don't really care what you do in there. We only care what you do out here. So in there, if you want to talk about Jesus, talk about Jesus. If you want to sing to Jesus, then you sing to Jesus. If you want to hoop, holler, write, now whatever you want to do, whatever you want to do in that building, then that's your business. But don't bring that out here. Don't bring your Bibles to school. Don't bring your Bibles to work. Don't pray in public. Don't show your faith where you are. Listen, in the First Amendment, when our ancestors decided to put that document, that Bill of Rights together, they gave us a right to assemble ourselves and to freely worship, right? The freedom of expression 
of worship. Freedom of expression of worship is not something that happens in here. I, 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 don't, I don't need a right. I don't need a law to say that it's okay for us to worship like we want to in here. I need protection out there. And our forefathers saw it. And they put down on paper and pen. We have a right to express our faith out there. Not just in here. If the church won't go away, then just keep them to themselves. We don't want them to be a part of society. We don't want them to be a part of culture. We don't want the church and Christians to be involved in government or politics or entertainment or otherwise. Listen, when the church begins to stand up like we saw the church stand up last year, the world takes notice. Last year right here in our own city, an NDO, non-discrimination ordinance, which sounds wonderful on the surface, was promoted. It's something that violates what we believe. Now, now listen, somebody's going to take that and say, see, they don't want the non-discrimination ordinance because they like discrimination. What idiot thinks that? Nobody. To be against that is not to be for discrimination. But to be against that is to say, we don't want those extra rights going to anybody in any specific group. Listen, we fought it. And it was because of the church standing up last year that it failed miserably. But just know it's coming back. We have elections coming up, don't we? Did you know that this week, I answered an eight-question survey from one of our candidates... How would you answer these questions that were given by Jeremy Hobbs? You don't have to be in Columbus long to know who Jeremy Hobbs is. Did you know, however, that Jeremy Hobbs used to be a member of this church? This church. This church. I want to tell you something. Somewhere we failed along the way. We have failed some folks along the way. So much so that if we've got a whole group now that he leads that would just as soon the church be the church inside of the walls and not outside. We don't want you in public places. Just stay in your building. Thirdly, there's some who wish the family of God would stop commenting. Would stop commenting. If you won't go away... And if you won't stay in your building, then at least do us the courtesy of being quiet. I wish I could say that to a bunch of athletes and entertainers. You know, I sure do. But you know what? An athlete that dribbles a ball is called on to dribble a ball and to put it in the basket. An athlete who's called upon to carry a pigskin, is called to carry it all the way into the end zone. An athlete with a bat is called upon to hit a ball and to score as many runs as he possibly can. We are called to hold forth the Word of God. And that's what we're going to do. 
No matter what, the world may wish us to be quiet. We're not going to be quiet about those things. Because we have a mandate, not from our culture, we have a mandate from God. God gave us truth. God entrusted us with truth. We must, must, must be faithful to Him, no matter how many people hate the fact that you are alive and that you're a born-again believer. There's some people who will come to the end of this life and say, I am so sad that I'm not really a part of the family of God. There will be some people in our culture who are going to say, I'm so mad that you're a part of the family of God. And Jesus' brothers found themselves in both of those categories. Then we come to the end of this passage today. What is really the reason for verses 19 and 20? What Jesus has to teach them about his mother and his brothers. Look at it with me again. Jesus answered and said to them, My mother and my brothers are number one, those who hear the word of God, and number two, who do it. These are a group of people who would say, I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. Now listen, Jesus' brothers didn't believe in him. Not when, not when they were growing up with him, they didn't believe. Not when Jesus set out, he left the carpenter shop and went out there on his own to be an itinerant preacher, they still didn't believe in him. When they saw the miracles themselves, they didn't believe in him. When he was crucified, they didn't believe in him. In fact, the indication is they didn't even bother to show up. For three days, while every true disciple wept, they didn't nearly care. But when Jesus came back alive, when Jesus was raised again, now they have reason to believe. Now they know that this one is the one that had been promised forever. And they give their hearts gladly to Jesus just like everybody else. And in their number is a man by the name of Jude who writes not only one of the shortest books in your New Testament, but one of the most profound books in your New Testament. Named among those brothers is a man by the name of James. This particular James, the half-brother of Jesus, writes of an epistle named after him. It's in the book of James. Man, if it hadn't been for James, I don't know what I would have done. I mean, James is the book that I'm reading when I give my heart to Jesus. In fact, it's James's book, chapter number 1 and verse number 22, that really brings me into the family of God. It's what gathers my attention more than anything else. I gave my heart to Jesus. I repented of my sins. I placed my faith and my trust in Christ alone for eternal life. Recognize then that my relationship to God is more important than any other relationship on the face of this earth. My relationship with my wife is important. My relationship with my children is important. My relationship with my parents is important. My relationship with my family is important. 
something. No, Jesus has to be number one. Listen to me. If your family is in the number one slot, they're in the wrong slot. And you will never, ever, ever love them as much as you could love them if Jesus were in the number one spot. You know why? Because he said, I am love. And you're not. Right? I want you to know that the family of God has a couple of requirements that we read about right here when Jesus says, these are my true brothers. Joining the family of God, number one, requires hearing. Jesus says, my brothers are those who hear the word of God. Paul writes to the Romans and he says, so then by faith, or so then faith, comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. Paul writes to Timothy, thanking Timothy, thanking God for Timothy's mother and grandmother. He says, who made known to you the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise unto salvation. These very scriptures that we have been entrusted with, the Word of God that you've been entrusted with, is designed to bring a man, a woman, a boy or a girl to faith in Jesus. It is to provide you with salvation. So when you begin to talk to somebody, you want them to be saved. What's the very best thing that you can use? Good illustrations? No. Good stories? Not really. You use the scriptures. And in them is the power of God unto salvation for the Jew first and also for the Greek. For everybody. If you want to be saved, it comes out of the Word of God. Joining the family of God requires hearing. But number two, joining the family of God requires heeding. Heeding. Heeding is simply hearing followed by obedience. It's obedient listening. That's why that that verse in James chapter 1 says, Be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourselves, fooling yourselves. Billy Graham said that the greatest mission field in America is the church pew. Why? Because we've oftentimes bought into those misconceptions. And we have become a, 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 a conclave of hearers. And not doers. Somewhere we thought that if we bought into the facts, that that simply was enough. It's not, is it? Saving belief and saving faith is not just about what you know and what you don't know, but who you've given yourself to. Paul writes to the Romans and he says, For not the hearers of the law are just in the sight of God, But the doers of the law will be justified. It's heeding. It's obeying. Obeying Him by turning loose of yourself and opening yourself up to Him. It's about giving everything that you know about yourself to everything that you know about Him. Do you have to know everything about Him? No. You don't know everything about yourself. But what you do know 
You just say, God, I'm yours. Turn away from my sin. I place my faith in Christ alone for eternal life. Listen, you may have a story that is super unique. I mean, unlike anybody else's story. I mean, I, you know, if we raised our hands or anything in here, you know, I, I could ask the question, how many of you prayed and asked Jesus to come to your heart in a log in the North Georgia mountains? You know, I might be the only one. Your story might be similar like that. But listen, your salvation story, it's really not unique at all, is it? You came to a point to where you knew that you were a sinner. You came to a point to where you recognized that sin has consequences. That there are wages to that sin, that you are separated from God because of your sin. You came to a point to where you realized and believed that Jesus loves you and that He gave His life for you, paying that penalty, paying those wages for your sin. Somewhere along the way, you, not your mama, not your grandmama, not your friend, you, ask Jesus to come into your heart and save you. And that day you were born again and made a part of the family of God. Let's pray together. Jesus, we're going to pray for the folks that are gathered in this room, for those that are watching at home. I know what it's like. To pretend, I know what it's like to fool myself. And so, Father, I pray for those today who are fooling themselves. They're fooling themselves about their relationship with you. Father, if that is true, would you make their hearts so restless in these moments that they can't stay in their seat? That they have to come and say, Tim, I need to know, I need to know, I need to know. Father, your job is to save. We pray that you will. No matter what our presuppositions, no matter our suppositions, we ask for your salvation. Bless this moment. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Stand with me where you are. This year, at Britt David, we would like to challenge you to share the love of Christ with those you come into contact with each day. Remember, he who wins souls is wise. Pastor Tim would love to connect and share with you about a personal relationship with Jesus Christ and how you can know that you know that Jesus is your Savior and Lord. That address is church office at BritDavid.org. We are located at 2801 West Brit David Road, Columbus, Georgia, 31909. Thanks again for joining us here on Brit David Podcast.